For those of you who are staying, if you are able, if you would stand uh, for the reading of God's word, Psalm 46. Wonderful words in these worrisome times. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. As Tom said, we have concluded our Colossians series. We're now beginning to look at Psalms together. Um, I think especially this summer, we're going to be looking at some of the Psalms that, you know, praise God for different attributes. And uh, perhaps it's appropriate that on Father's Day, we are celebrating the reality that ultimately God is the Father in whom we take refuge. Um, Before we look at this passage any further, though, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, thank you for uh, the joy of being your people together. Thank you that we are family and that we can come together as family. And, and not just come together with each other, but that we get to come together with you. That you, our Father, love us and call us to yourself. And you speak words to encourage and strengthen us. And so we pray for that right now. I know there are probably many in this room even who are feeling we who are feeling the need for the refuge that alone they can find in you. Would you please teach us even more deeply the reality of what it means that in you we find refuge so that we need not be afraid. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are words that uh, maybe they stuck out to you. They certainly stuck out to me in this psalm as I was reading it through it this uh, past week. Um, They're really simple where he says, we will not be afraid. Did you catch that? I will not fear, essentially is what he's saying. Don't you wish you could just say that so confidently as it seems like this psalmist? We will not be afraid. I mean, from from very early on, as young as I can remember, you know, you know that this world is not a safe place. Early on, it's the dark or the sound of loud vacuum cleaners or being left in nursery. As you get older, it becomes a little bit different, right? You start focusing on things like that bad guys are out there or, or tornadoes might frighten you or, or even sickness. And then when we get to adulthood, it's not that the fears go away, it's they get even more detailed with the, with the what ifs. You know, what if I'm diagnosed with terminal cancer? 
What will happen to me? What will happen to my family? What if I lose my job and I can't make rent or mortgage payments and I lose my home? What if my kid gets bullied at school and it, and it starts shaping him and affecting him so he loses his confidence and so he doesn't assert himself when he should, which means when he's at school, he's probably not learning as well as he does so he can't get into college and then he's probably going to be flipping burgers at Burger Kings. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but what if we have these fears? Now, we, we try to keep the fears in the background, right? We try to kind of pretend they're not there. Maybe we avoid watching the news because that makes everyone feel a little bit more sane. And we, 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 we try to kind of keep them there, but there's always this background noise of anxiety, isn't there? That we, we just know that we are one visit into our employer's office or one biopsy or one car crash away from, from everything kind of falling apart. And so we hear him saying here, I will not be afraid. I mean, don't you wish you could say that? I don't know anyone who says, man, I really wish I was more anxious. I would love to worry a lot more because that would just be so much better. No, that's not the life we want. We want to be able to face life courageously, open-heartedly, without, without the neuroses of anxiety. We want to be able to put our head in the pillow and just sleep calmly. Don't, don't you want to be able to say, I will not be afraid and just mean it? Now, when we see this psalmist writing, we realize he is not confident because he thinks his life will necessarily be easy, right? He says, we will not be afraid even though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Now, that's an image. I mean, imagine if later on after you leave church and you go out to the parking lot suddenly we feel the earth just shaking like we've never felt it before and we can barely stay on our feet and, and we hear these loud noises and slowly the houses around us start crumbling and then the ground comes down and like the rivers from around come washing and we're like in this island and nothing else is left he says imagine that i wouldn't be afraid i would not be afraid if everything crumbles if the government if my home, if my work, even if my family breaks apart, I will not fear. And this isn't just courage in a vacuum where he's kind of speaking in the hypothetical. This, this writer is in the middle of chaos. Verse 6, it says, the nations rage. In Israel, Israel was this small, fairly vulnerable country amongst many other much more powerful, volatile countries, and war was just a fact of life. It was always a present danger, and war would be terrifying. If war came, your, your crops would be destroyed, your, your homes might be razed, you would be very likely killed. This is a terrifying reality since nations raged, and yet I am not afraid. See, he says this not because he has a better life than you and I do, because he doesn't. He says this because he has a better refuge than we often have. When you face fear, when you face anxiety, where do you go for refuge? 
maybe you don't think in those terms, but my guess is all of us have some thing we turn to when, when we find ourselves feeling vulnerable and afraid, something that we do to make ourselves feel better. Maybe for you it's just simply being able to go home where everything has a place where you can feel comfortable and protected. Maybe that is a refuge for you. For some of us, it's people. There are certain people that we know we can turn to and we just feel better if we've talked with them. Maybe we, we get a sense of security and protection just by knowing we have savings, that we can probably purchase a solution if there's ever a problem. Some of us, I think, when we find ourselves overwhelmed by anxiety or fear, we just escape. Binging with Netflix and spending a few hours completely transported or or escape through eating, or drinking, or something else. Where do you go for refuge? The psalmist is clear about where his refuge is. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. He is fearless because God is his refuge. Do you know what that means? Are you able to not just intellectually conceive of this, but really identify with what it means to make God your refuge? He uses some other language to help us understand. It says, you know, God is my refuge and strength. And that word strength literally means helper, support. So, so when he is feeling inadequate, which we understand, when he is feeling like he is failing, like he cannot be up to it, there is God. God is the strength that I need when I don't have strength. That's what he means by refuge. God is my very present help in times of trouble. Have you ever been in a place where you are feeling overwhelmed and you look around and no one is there and you need someone? He says, that's never the case with God, especially in those times where I'm feeling most overwhelmed, I find God there. I turn to God. That's what he means by God is my refuge. He is the one I turn to when I am most in need, when I am most inadequate, and he is always there, he is my refuge. That, he says, is the key to fearlessness, that God is our refuge. Do you understand that? Do you know what it's like to put refuge in God? Now, if some of us are honest, maybe many of us, we find ourselves maybe kind of identifying with what he's saying, but feeling something that stands in the way of being able to fully embrace this. The idea that because God is our refuge, I will not be afraid. And here's what stands in the way. We know that people who trust in God go through suffering. We know that people who believe in God and make God their refuge experience job loss, experience death of loved ones, experience all sorts of tragedy. So how can we be fearless if God is our refuge, when we know that this might happen. And we should be careful to understand what it means when we say that God is our refuge. A refuge is not something that completely removes you from danger. A refuge is something that keeps you safe in the midst of danger. And that's exactly what the psalmist is talking about, right? He says, the earth is giving way, the mountains might crumble, my house might be destroyed, nations are raging, bad things are happening, and yet 
God is my refuge. He will keep me safe even in the midst of the suffering. That's the promise here, that even as terrible things happen, yet God will hold you and keep you in the midst of it. And I think we see that even more clearly when we, when we go to verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. It seems maybe for a moment like we have like a change in topic. Suddenly he's talking about the city of God, but he's explaining what he means when he's talking about how God is refuge. In the Old Testament, the city of God was largely identified with Jerusalem, but it was more than that. It, it, it was bigger. The city of God symbolically was this connection point, the, the beachhead where God was breaking into this rebellious world and rescuing people. When the city of God was functioning as it should, it was the place that people could enter and experience the rule of God in a tangible way, where they could bring their gifts to God, where they were brought nearer to God through sacrifices. It was the connection point between God and humanity. And the New Testament tells us clearly that what, that what that city of the Old Testament of Jerusalem pointed to has been fulfilled in a far fuller way, that when Jesus came and died for us and rose again, this is what we saw in Colossians, he established a new creation, a new city, a new society, where all who are in Christ are now this people of God, the body of Christ, the church. Revelation calls the people of God who are in Christ the new Jerusalem. That is the, the connection we have between God and us. And this is what is being promised of protection. Yes, the earth might give way. Yes, things might happen. But God is in his city and he will protect it. He will protect you and me in our faith, in our relationship with God. He will continue to prosper us and grow us and draw us nearer to him. He will make sure that our future is secure, that the church will continue, that on the last day we will experience the joy and the inheritance that has been promised. That is what is being talked about when it speaks about the city of God. The New Testament is filled with, with promises that, that speak about this very thing. Um, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's saying, I am protecting my city. Philippians says, God, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. If you are in Christ, God will protect you and preserve you and bring you to the last day. That's what it's saying. I will protect my city. Romans says that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And in the context, the good that's being spoken of is God growing and developing and strengthening his children so that they more and more become the people they were created to be and on the last day experience the glory of being the great city of God. We confessed this very truth earlier in our service. 
Heidelberg Catechism says that Jesus watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. All things. We will experience suffering. We will experience loss. But even in that, God is protecting his city. He is preserving us. He is growing us. He is showing us good even in the midst of suffering. If you are in Christ, you belong to a city that nothing can touch. You are part of a family that can never be broken. You have a relationship with God himself that can never be tainted. And you have a joy that is set before you that can never be taken away. That is what it's saying when God is in the midst of his city. And that city shall not be moved. In fact, to understand even this more, I want us to pay attention to three images in these verses. We see in verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. If a city in that day was besieged, that was the common way. If there was a fortress, you'd have armies that would come all around it, cutting off the food supply, the drink supply, until the city was so weak that it would surrender. Well, that doesn't work if you have a river. If you have a river in the city, that means you have the nourishment that you need, and you can keep going and going. And the psalmist says, in this city, there's a river. And where is that river? It says, God is in the midst of her. That's, that's the river he's saying. In the city of God, God is in the midst of us, meaning that we will always be replenished and strengthened, no matter how we experience threats on the outside. One of the great difficulties in the midst of our suffering is we find ourselves saying, I can't do this. I, I don't think I can keep going. I, I don't have it in me. And of course, we're right, except that it's not just you. God is in the midst The Holy Spirit is in the midst of you. There's a river in the city that even when we are completely without any more resources, God will continue to replenish and will give you the strength that you did not know that you have and the perseverance that you thought was completely outside of you. Second image, it says that God will help her when the morning dawns. Um, The morning time in the midst of battle was the scary time. So an army would come around the city in the day, would wait till evening, camp, and you knew the moment there was daylight, that is when the attack would, place, would take place. And so you can just imagine how in the nighttime, how, how much anxiety there would be as you're just waiting and waiting and thinking about what will happen when the day comes. And we, we identify with that, don't we? I, mean, I, I know I do. I mean, the time that I'm most likely to just get stuck is like 3.30 in the morning. I've woken up and there's something in my mind just keeps going and going and going. What will happen when the morning comes? And here's what the psalmist says, when the morning comes, God is there. When you are most experiencing those times of difficulties, there God is. And then the final image, verses six and, uh, verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Armies seem so terrifying. I mean, and they would be by human standards. 
But for God, it's not even that he has to move his arms. He doesn't have to kind of get up. All he has to do is just kind of breathe out a few words. And, and it's not even just that the armies are stopped. It's that these gigantic mountains all around, they become puddles. Because this is the God who can speak and just with a few words, an entire universe comes into being. There is no comparison between whatever dangers or threats that we face and the God of the universe. If God is in the midst of her, if God is in the midst of us protecting his city, there is nothing that even remotely is a threat. Because God breathes and the mountains melt. Someone says, this is why I'm not afraid. God is my refuge. There is a river in the city. He is there when the morning comes. He speaks, and everything that opposes us just melts. And we hear this, we say, oh, I, I wish, at least I hear this, I, I want that security. I want that sense of fearlessness that this person has. But I don't have it. And I think that's why after describing these things, this psalmist calls us with these two commands. Here's what I want you to do so that you can join with me in this fearlessness. Two final commands. First one is pay attention to God's destructiveness. Now that sounds weird. We would think that we're supposed to pay attention to God's beauty, God's creativity, God's love, but God's destructiveness? But look, this is what it says. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Pay attention to the destructiveness of God. When Egypt threatened Israel, when Egypt wouldn't allow Israel to escape and they were hurting Israel, what does God do? He pours out his forces upon Egypt. Creation almost becomes undone as, as creatures and, and blood and darkness and death is reigned. And then even as Israel escapes and you have the armies of Egypt, what happens? A, a, a sea crashes and destroys and obliterates an entire army. Come and see the destructiveness of God. There's another moment in the story of, of Israel centuries later, but also really important and, and perhaps even behind this psalm. There's this moment when Hezekiah, king of Judah, and the people of Jerusalem are surrounded by this massive Assyrian army that was just destroying everything. And the general of the army taunts the people of God and says, don't think to yourself that the Lord will save you because none of the other gods saved any of the other people. And then it becomes nighttime and Hezekiah does the only thing that he should do in that moment. He falls on his face before God and he prays. And, and when the dawn comes, do you know what happens? Here's a quote straight from the passage. When people arose early in the morning, behold, 
These were all dead bodies, 185,000 soldiers slain by the angel of God. Come and see the destructiveness of God. See, for you to truly be able to take refuge in God, we need to understand not just one, but two things. You'll notice that there is this repeated kind of refrain, both in verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So it's important to remember that he is with us, that he is the God of Jacob, that is, he is our God, that he is on our side, that he loves us. But that's not the only thing that we need to know. We need to know that he is the Lord of hosts, literally the Lord of armies, the powerful God who rules and who destroys anything that stands opposed to him or to his people. You know, when, when Paul has been persecuting the people of Israel, what does Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When you touch my people, you are touching me, and that is not a good idea. Come and see the destructiveness of God. For us to know that God is a refuge that we can find security in, we need to know that he is not this safe, nice, tame God, that he is terrifying, that he is unpredictable, that he is awesome, that he is glorious. And if you have a hard time with fear, you need to look at that aspect of God as well. That against evil, that against all that opposes God, he will destroy it if it doesn't turn to him. You need to understand that when Jesus comes on the cross and dies and rescues us, we don't just see mercy and love, although we see that. We are also told that at the cross, Jesus crushes Satan. That Jesus destroys evil. That Jesus conquers death. And that victory will be absolutely plain when Jesus returns. Come and see the destructiveness of God. And then secondly, we see this command, let God be God. We read, be still and know that I am God. That verse sometimes is taken out of context, kind of for a spirituality of the idea that we need to be silent in the presence of God. That's not primarily what it's speaking about here. What it's saying here is, Stop trying to assert control. Stop thinking you are the one who can fix this. I mean, isn't that our problem? When, when I'm up at 3.30 in the morning, I am not saying, God, you have this. How can I be faithful? That would be the wise thing. It's what can I do? How can I fix this? How can I fix this? What can I do? And whether I realize it or not, I am trying to take the God role. And God is saying, what are you doing? Be still. Literally, you could translate it, relax. Not that we shouldn't be working, but we should just be focusing on what God has given us, what is faithfulness. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. My city will be preserved. I have this. Be still. You know, there are Four words that whenever we're afraid, it would be really valuable for you and me to say repeatedly. And it's simply, I am not God. I am not God. I don't have this. But God does. Come and see 
the glory, the destructiveness, the power of God. Be still and know that I am God. This is the pathway to taking refuge in our God. This is the pathway to being able to say, I am not afraid. So in 1527, um, Martin Luther was having a really bad year. If you know history, this is a decade after the 95 Theses were nailed to the wall. Uh, The Reformation has begun. Much has happened, and yet chaos is all around. There are great theological controversies that look like it's going to rip everything apart. There is danger from armies from all around, and Martin Luther is so overwhelmed By anxiety and depression, he is just kind of paralyzed. It is terrible for him. He writes later about this time, especially a couple of weeks, to a friend of his, Melanchthon. He says, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain, and I still tremble. I felt completely abandoned by Christ. I labored under the vacillations and storms, of desperation and blasphemy against God. He was saying, I felt like the earth was giving way and there was a part of me that was saying that God is not God. I felt blasphemy within me. But through the prayers of the saints, God began to have mercy on me and pulled my soul from the inferno below. And it was in this very time that Luther wrote words that continue to give people strength. They've been sung even in the face of martyrdom and persecution. They're a song that is based on this very psalm, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And while the entire song really is about this, I think it's especially the final verse that captures what we've been saying. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. That's what we feel, isn't it? Whether literally we're talking about devils or we're talking about suffering, we feel like it's threatening to undo us. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. We will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. So let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abided still. His kingdom, his city is forever. I invite you even now, having heard God's word, to respond in prayer, confession. Maybe it's simply praying, God, I have forgotten that I am not God and you are. Please forgive me. Or maybe it's some other way of turning to God to make him your refuge. Let's spend some time in silence before the God who does promise to be our refuge and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a couple minutes time.
Father, your word exposes us. It reveals to our own hearts our fear, our faithlessness. Lord, we confess that even though you are worthy of all of our trust, yet we still many times prefer to be in control, even though that is a far worse thing. Lord, forgive us for not trusting you. We pray that you would teach us more and more how to take our refuge in you, to find in you our strength. Help us more and more to know the reality that you are always present in times of trouble so that we might be able to say in praise to you, I will not be afraid. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Even as our faithlessness is exposed, we are reminded of the forgiveness of God. Psalm 130 says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.